God, we just lift up your name in this house this morning. God, Jesus, the name above every name, the powerful name of Jesus, we lift it up together this morning. In unity, we declare the name of Jesus. In unity, we declare the name of Jesus over sickness, God, over brokenness. Father, over our situation and our circumstance, we declare the powerful name of Jesus together this morning. And we know that in your in your name and in your presence, there is power. And so we draw into your presence this morning and declare that you reign. God, that over it all, you reign. And so we thank you. God, we thank you that despite our circumstance, we can always look to you. And so we set our eyes on you and ask that you change our perspective. God, that you pour out your spirit, that we experience your love, that we know your healing touch. God, we thank you that you are at work among us. God, we just desire to know you more. Lord, we thank you for your salvation and how you have changed us, how you are transforming us to be more like Jesus this morning. We thank you for this church community that we are a part of. We thank you for the wider community of Sale, of SBC Yarram, of Locksport beginning. We thank you that you are in those places. God, you are here with us in our midst working. God, would you draw us all together in unity, whether we're here in the room, in the room in Yarram, watching online, God, that we are of one body with you at the head. We thank you, Lord, for how you were working this morning. We pray that we will be changed by an encounter with your spirit this morning. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. You're welcome to our sit where you are. We'll have a chance to move out of our seats in a moment. Uh, But first, I'm going to hit you with some announcements. While I'm doing that, the amazing team are going to take up uh, our offering and tithes. Uh, You can pop that in the bucket. You can pop little notes in the bucket too, if you like, Um, but those will be passed around as I'm speaking. Hey, everyone. Good morning. Good morning, Yaram. Hi, I assume that you're saying a happy hello to me there at Yaram as well. We love the team down there in Yaram. Pastor Steve and Jackie are down there with them this morning. And my first announcement is just for you guys, actually. After today's service in Yaram, we're having a Connect lunch. I wish that I was in Yarram, honestly, because the Connect Lunch uh, is always a great time. So if you're at church in Yarram this morning, or if you're from around Yarram watching from our online stream, can I encourage you, head down to our Yarram SBC campus there. We would love to host you for a Connect Lunch to get to know you. Uh, The team are all there, stoked to be hosting you. So... And, and I mean, like, if you leave right when the service finishes and you just, what is it, like 50-something minute, like probably like an hour to Yarram, you could maybe make it in time for lunch if you left from here, like the second that Pastor Brad finishes preaching. So that's going to be awesome for you there uh, in Yarram. The other announcement that I have to let you know um, is that we have a prayer course coming up. Um, so it's going to be, it's coming up uh, in term four, and it's going to be running at church on Tuesday nights. Now, I know some of you think on Tuesday night is when I have my small group. Me too, and this is a heads up to my small group and anyone in my small group. We're going to be doing this. <laughs> this is such a great opportunity, so we're going to uh, come together. So if your small group is looking for something different to do in term four, or even if you're not in a small group and you just think this would be a great idea, it will be. So it's a five-week course um, about prayer. It's called God on Mute. 
unanswered prayers. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like I can relate to that, that perhaps God isn't answering my prayer in the way that I would desire for him to answer it, but maybe uh, he's speaking to us in ways that are different to what we expect. So that's going to be an awesome opportunity for us all to gather together and do some good like learning together. Um, Sundays is a great time for that. Small group is a great time for that. But anything else that we can get plugged into is a great opportunity for us to be truth seekers who are following God, uh, pursuing our relationship with him. So you can register for that um, on the Church Centre app or the team in Yarram. You have Pastor Jackie there, so she can give you all the information. Uh, But when Pastor Jack is back uh, at SBC Sale next week, you can uh, suss out the information, more information from her as well if you need to. But that is starting in term four. Does it sound good? Sounds good to me. I'm excited to do it. That's the two main announcements. The other thing I need to let you know is that creche is happening but no SBC kids because we're on holidays. It's, ex- it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's exciting to be on holidays, but it's very sad not to get to go out to SBC kids because that's so much fun. Uh, but that means that we get the joy of having the kids in the service. I don't know about you. I love school holidays. I love when the kids are in the service. Hey, dude. <laughs> Uh, We love when the kids are in the service. Maybe it's a little bit louder and a bit more ruckus, but uh, that's how we like the family of God, a little bit ruckus. So uh, welcome, kids. We love you here. We're going to do a five-minute mingle now. Uh, So normally you guys have to go out to creche uh, and kids, but today you get to be a part of the mingle. So we're going to put five minutes on the clock. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. You can do it, everybody standing together. And we're going, to, uh, we're going to mingle together. So move on out of your seats, make a new friend, say hello to somebody, five minutes on the clock. If you're online uh, or in Yarram, I hope you're moving around also, meeting someone new online, say hello in the chat. We'd love to chat with you. Um, hop on out of your seat and get to know somebody this morning. Does Michael have it? Ooh, I'm a bit early. I'm a bit early. Oh my gosh. Let's, um, let's gather back in. Let's, let's find our seats. I'm sorry to cut off our conversations, don't, I know, it's upsetting, I'm sorry. If you were having a good conversation, you can, you can return to those, but what we're going to do is, uh, we're going to come into a time of communion, so if you find your seats, the ushers are going to come out um, and bring the elements to you, which is great that we can do that now instead of lining up. Um, so while we do that, I want to really talk about communion and what it is, so Um, Jesus came to his disciples on Passover and it was a time of remembering God for them that um, they came, God led them out of Egypt and they were celebrating that. They needed to remember that. So he came to them and I'm going to read from Mark 14, uh, 22. He came to them and while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take this, Oh, take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which I poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus did at that time was, he changed the aspect and changed what they were remembering. We're still to remember God. But he said, take this. This is my body. Remember what I did for you. Remember me. And he took the cup. 
And he said, this is my spirit. This is the new covenant. Remember, my spirit's to come. We've been studying Acts in um, youth. And at the end of Acts, it just stops. And it's a promise for the future. The gospel hasn't stopped, but it continues through the spirit. So remember what's to come. And then after that, they sung hymns. They got together in worship. So what we're going to do is um, I'm going to pray. And then as the, song, as the band continues through worship, through the singing of hymns, we're going to remember God. We're going to remember what he's done in the past. We're going to remember who Jesus is and what he did. He walked with us. He became one of us. He loved us. And we're going to remember the spirit to come, the spirit that's in us and the promise that has for the future as we move forward with him because the job's not done, the journey's not finished and we're here together to remember that. So I'll pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as a family and share in this remembrance of you. Remember what you have done, who you have been and what's to come. We thank you for all of this. We pray that your spirit is poured out over us and that we know you personally and deeply. We thank you for this time together. We love you. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you never left us behind. God, we thank you that despite our shortcomings, despite our inaction, God, you chose to come to us. You came to earth. You died a death that we should have died so that we could have a place in relationship with you. And God, I pray this morning that we might know that grace like never before. God, the reality of the cross, the reality of the resurrection might hit us afresh this morning. God, so that we could live in full surrender, completely trusting you, God, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, speak to our hearts this morning. Show us your truth. Help us to hear your voice. God, we thank you so much for for what you've got in store for us this morning. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please grab a seat. Good morning. Great to be here this morning. Good morning, Yaram. It's great to have you with us this morning. Great to have the kids in the service. Kids are all busy worksheeting, doing their word searches. and Fantastic. I was going to say something about the cats and next week, but I'll leave that for next week. talking about doubt and faith this morning, and I've got faith. <laughs> hey, if it's your first time with us at Sal Baptist this morning, either here, online, or in Yarram, a special welcome. It's great to have you with us this morning. We are starting a new series for the next three weeks. We are talking about doubt. We've called the series Doubting God, um, and you'll hopefully see why. Um, as we go. And if you've had doubts about God before, um, either about his existence, uh, whether he is the 
the one true God, uh, whether he answers prayers, whether he's still active. Uh, can I say you're amongst friends? Um, I hope that uh, you feel at home here. We are uh, a home for all. There's room for you. That's one of our church values. And, you know, I think as, as a church, it should be the safest place to bring your doubts, to bring your concerns. Just like a home should be a safe place for a child to come and share their own doubts, their own concerns. A church should be the the safest place to come and say, oh, I'm not sure about this. And I hope that that's part of what you um, gather and uh, embrace over these next few weeks, that, that this is a safe place to bring the big questions of life. Uh, and it's what we do with those questions that's really important. We all have them uh, from time to time, uh, but it's important that we bring them and, and seek the answers to them and not shovel them away and think, oh, I shouldn't think like that. I just pretend like that's not there and then hope that it just magically goes away. That we bring it out. And we're going to see through Scripture that there's good disciples, followers of Jesus that brought their concerns and their doubts out in the open, out in the light. Uh, the Bible, if you read it, is very unfiltered. Very unfiltered. There's, especially read through the Psalms, I mean, there's no filter there. It's just like, whatever you're thinking, you say it and you bring it out. Uh, but you do it with a, a sense of seeking the, the truth and seeking God in the midst of it. So I want to do that uh, this morning uh, and we're going to get through some scripture. We're going to get through a lot this morning and I hope that you stick with me. hope it makes sense to you, sort of makes sense to me. Um, John chapter 20 is where we're going to start um, in verses 24 to 29. And you might have heard of this guy, his name's Thomas, and of course, most people call him Doubting Thomas, and we'll see. Uh, It says this in John 20, 24 to 29, but Thomas, called twin, or Didymus, uh, some translations might say, one of the twelve was not with them. Uh, when Jesus came. So Jesus' context, Jesus has come back to life, Uh, he's died on the cross, been resurrected, he's appeared to the disciples. Thomas wasn't there, Uh, not all the disciples were there, and Thomas was one of the disciples missing uh, when Jesus first appeared. So the other disciples, of course, seeing his resurrection, were telling him, we've seen the Lord. I mean, you could imagine the astonishment in their voices and, and what that might have been like. And Thomas, he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them this time. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I mean, he's just come back to life and now he's just appeared through a wall somehow. Um, And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning and we thank you for the way you've revealed yourself to us, the way you've revealed yourself to us through your scripture uh, and in our own lives. Uh, And God, we pray that you would help us to see you again this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hands up if you've never seen the movie, or maybe, hands up if you have seen the movie, Finding Nemo. Classic movie. 
You know, there's a scene in Finding Nemo. I hope you've seen it. And if you haven't, then you can go watch it after this. Um, grab a, you know, grab whoever. It's just a, a great movie. Um, set in Australia. True story, I think. No? I don't know. You'll have to go see it to find out. Um, <clears throat> it's pretty realistic. Anyway, so... Um, there's a, there's a scene in, in, in Finding Nemo where um, Marlon and Dory are swimming through the ocean and they've got this, this goggles, these goggles with the, uh, the address of where they're heading to, which is? Yes, of course. 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. It's a real address in Sydney, I'm sure. Anyway, um, so they've got this mask and they've had this big encounter with sharks and there's been a big explosion underwater and then they come to and they're dangling over this big trench, uh, this pit of darkness and they come to and um, sure enough they drop the mask um, and it goes and Marlon starts swimming and then he goes, oh, no, that's too dark, I can't see anymore, uh, I'm coming back up. And Dory... Um, just sort of swimming all around the place. It's just, do, 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 just keep swimming. And starts that song of just keep swimming. Uh, and you may have heard someone use that uh, phrase before, just keep swimming. Uh, and so Dory starts singing it and then tries to teach Marlon, just keep swimming. Come on, we've got to go down. And sure enough, they go down the trench and it's pitch black and then they see a light. Uh, and the light is, anyway, I won't give it away. It's not what it seems. Anyway, and then... You know, but I think it's just a, a, such a great picture of two approaches to, uh, of the unknown, right? Where Dory has this kind of blind faith of like, it's going to be okay. We'll be right. She'll be right, mate. You know, just keep swimming. Let's go down. Whereas Marlon might be a bit more, you might say, of a realist, skeptic. Say, so, oh, I don't know about that. But the song is the same for both of them as they go down. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. You know, your doubts and my doubts can look very different at different times in our walk. And they're not always solved the same way. I'm not going to be able to give you the answer to every doubt that you ever have this morning. If that's what you're hoping, then I'm sorry. That's not what's going to happen. But what I want to suggest is the worst thing you can do when you face a serious doubt is just to stop swimming. Is just to give up and go, whew, that's too hard. I'm just going to backpedal here and not search anymore. I want to suggest and encourage you that no matter what doubt you face, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Keep going. Chase down the answers. Search for the truth. Keep believing in the face of your own doubts. I think it's fair to say that just about every person, every Christian, non-Christian, faces periods of doubt. I've had them in my past. I'm sure I'll have some more in the future. Um, whether it's doubt in, in what God's able to do or just doubt in the reality of God altogether. You know, doubt is not necessarily the absence of faith. An atheist doesn't have doubts about God in the sense that if, if an atheist prays it's, and it's not answered, they just think, yep, just what I thought, just what I believed. And if they pray and something does happen, they might doubt their atheistic worldview. That's a different conversation. But for a Christian, the point is this, but for a Christian who prays and doesn't see an answer, 
doubt can creep in because we've got faith that something should happen. Even if it's small, there's that sense of I'm praying and I'm believing that something might happen and then if it doesn't happen quite like I think, doubt might creep in. So doubt is, uh, in a real way, the evidence that there is faith. Faith only comes, I mean, doubt only comes because there is some faith. Faith is not certainty, but certain hope. So Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the reality or the assurance of what is hoped for, the proof or conviction of what is not seen. See, the strength of faith is nowhere near as important as the object of it. I'll say that again. The strength of your faith is nowhere near as important as the object of it. If I was to fall off a cliff and there was a small branch on the side of the cliff and I went to grab that branch, the amount of faith I've got in that branch is sort of irrelevant. It's the strength of that branch that's really important. So even if I've got a small amount of faith as I go to grab that branch and it's strong enough to hold me, it's going to hold me. Whereas if I had all the faith in the world, this is going to hold me and it's just a twig and it's not even, you know, it's just dangling off a spider's web or something. It's, it doesn't matter how strong my faith is, the object of it is not going to hold me. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 17 verse 20, because of your little faith, he told them, for, for truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a must seed, they're talking about casting out demons and, and prayer, but listen to this. For truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed you, and you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Their little faith was their tenderness to trust Jesus at his word. It might be like grabbing a branch with your finger instead of both hands. Little faith is about the application. The mustard seed is about the certainty of that faith. That is to say that even if I'm not completely sure, I'm going to act and believe like I am. I'm throwing my whole life into Jesus' hands, not just dipping my toe in. There's a lot that Jesus says about little faith and that not being a good thing. And so the idea of doubting God is not to um, endorse it or affirm it and say, just keep doubting. It's to move beyond that doubt and not stay stuck in it. Because Jesus doesn't want us just to live a life of doubt and uncertainty. He wants us to, even if we've got a small amount of faith, to jump in both feet. There's two types of doubt. I mean, there's, there's maybe more than this, but I'm, I'm going to say there's two types of doubt. There's honest doubt and there's dishonest doubt. So honest doubt. So this is where, we've, where we truly come with this sense of, I really don't know about this or I can't work it out or I can't believe it. John the Baptist in Matthew's Gospel has a moment of honest doubt. So in Matthew um, 11 verse 3, John the Baptist has just been um, imprisoned and he, he says, are you the one, to Jesus, John the Baptist to Jesus, are you the one, or to uh, a messenger, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So John's been preaching in the wilderness, he's been he baptised Jesus, and now he's at a point where he's going, oh, I'm not sure, are you the one? Is this... Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 3, this is what John the Baptist, the same guy who's just had this doubt, this is what he said in chapter 3. 
In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, and make his paths straight. John the Baptist came out of the gate saying, this is the Messiah, this is, repent, this, I mean, there is no doubt about it. And then later on in his life, he's having this moment of doubt and part of that doubt has come in because of the situation he's found himself in. And we're going to talk more about that next week of like when, when life just goes real bad, when there's suffering, when there's evil and when, how, you know, that's a, a real avenue of doubt to creep in and we, we can, uh, we'll address that a bit more next week. But John had a time of knowing Jesus to be the one and then a time of doubting that Jesus was the one. And the doubt comes because, like I said, one, he's in prison and life's not great. How is this happening? Why all the evil and suffering? And two, because John the Baptist and a lot of other Jews at the time were expecting a powerful Jesus. They were expecting a Jesus to come in and sort of overthrow the government and take control of the situation and be strong and um, maybe military strong or politically strong but he came in weak and he spent his time with the weak jesus answered this you can read we don't have time to go into it but you can read in chapter 11 jesus answered john the baptist's doubt with look i've I've healed the blind and um, made the lame walk and um, you know done all these miracles amongst the weak of society i've come for the weak I, i i have fulfilled the prophecies that have been in isaiah Jesus is always with the weak. Anyway, we'll, we'll address that more a little bit more next week. Second time of doubt is dishonest doubt. And this is a... And I think this, only we can know what kind of doubts we have when we have them. If they are honest doubts or dishonest doubts. Dishonest doubt is the doubt that says, I don't want to believe this. I don't want to surrender my life to God and so I'm going to doubt he's real. I'm going to, I just want to live my own way. I want to do my own thing. I want to be in control of my own life. So I'm not sure God is real. Because if he is real, then what he's asking is full surrender. And so you've got to work out, where does your doubt come from first? Is it an honest doubt or is it a dishonest doubt? What's the motive behind it? Because then you can start to, move forward and then we can ask the question what do we do when we're confronted with doubt i think there's two two responses we can have and and sort of alluded to it and the with um dory and marlon we can ignore it suppress it pretend it doesn't exist just have faith um or ignore it suppress it and just uh sort of walk away because it's too hard or we can deal with it, we can confront it and bring it out into the light and just keep swimming. And the more you deal with it, the more you'll become like Dory, I believe, and just know that the faith in God stands up to any doubt thrown at it. The more you chase down your doubts, the more sure of your faith you'll become. You know, as I was um, reading and, and beginning to prepare for this, um, I came across, I can't remember um, who it was that, that sort of suggested this, but 
the basic idea that people come to faith or have a faith in God because of three key reasons. And it's a combination of these reasons. It's not just one, although you might be more persuaded by one than the other. Three key reasons. And one is the intellect, the, the logic or the reasoning. One is um, the experience of God or your, just your personal um, feeling about it. You might say your heart. And one is just your social um, upbringing or your social interactions, the social pressure, uh, if you like, or the life that you are involved in. And I think it, it really sums up what Jesus says in Matthew 22, 36 to 37, where he's asked, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your feeling, with all your emotion, with all your um, conviction, with all your soul, with all your life, with all your interactions, and with all your mind. And sometimes uh, we're going to have doubts in one of those three areas or they're going to be brought about in one of those three areas and it's important to, to sort of work towards dealing with that doubt or that, that reason. But also, I think it's a great framework for us to think, how can I strengthen my faith or how can I grow in my faith where well, we can listen to Jesus' greatest commandment and apply it in our own life? It's like, yes, if, if you're a, a deep thinker about things like do that, but don't just do that. Engage your heart and your emotion as well. Engage, engage your social interactions in your whole life as well. So what's Jesus' response to Thomas's doubt that we read at the start? I think it's important to note that, firstly, Jesus confronted Thomas's doubt head on. He didn't say to Thomas, don't be silly. That's a silly thing to think. You shouldn't doubt, just believe. He confronted Thomas's doubt by giving him reasons to believe. That is, he gave him a way to move past the doubt into greater faith. Thomas had only um, heard of others' testimony of Jesus. So we're talk- not talking about doubting Thomas. Sorry. I mean, we're talking about John the Baptist. We're talking about doubting Thomas here. Thomas had only heard of others' testimony about Jesus. You know, the other disciples in the room... Oh, we've seen the Christ. But it wasn't enough for him. He needed to see Jesus for himself. And I hope you can just stop and take this point in, that someone else's testimony is great, but you need your own understanding. Kids in the room, if you're still listening, your parents and their faith is great, but it's not your faith. You need to have your own understanding and your own experience of God, your own prayer times your own interaction with the Bible. You need to own your own faith, your own prayers, your own life of obedience. Don't just live for God because your parents tell you to, but trust Him with all of your own heart too. And then Jesus, ultimately knowing of Thomas and his doubts, comes and shows him. See, here are the holes in my hand and the scar in my side. John 20, 27 Put your fingers here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. He confronted Thomas's doubts head on and gave him evidence or good reasons to believe when Thomas was doubting. So what about us? When confronted with doubts on... We haven't got a lot of time here, but we've got doubts on God's existence. How do we deal with it? And I'm just going to give you some real quick um, good evidence for the existence of God. 
I don't know if we have these on the, on the screen. And I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert in this area. I've read some and listened to some um, over the past few weeks. And I would encourage you if you go, oh, I'm not sure about that one. Google is your oyster. I mean, the world's your oyster. Go explore. Go find the truth. Cosmological. I think I've said that right. It's basically this idea that nothing can exist without a cause. And so uh, scientists, um, and a lot of them agree that there's some sort of big bang, there's some sort of cosmic, uh, seismic event that happened, uh, and they can sort of point to it back, they can sort of locate it in the universe of where it is. Um, but the basic idea is that even uh, a big bang needed a cause. It's, it, there, there had to be something to cause that big bang. So, uh, nothing can exist without a cause. Something doesn't have to, that something doesn't have to be a personal God. It doesn't prove the God of the Bible. This argument doesn't say that, well, that means Jesus died on the cross and rose again. That's not what this argument's about. But it does give us uh, a good reason, or there is more reasons to believe in, a, um, in an intelligent design or a creator than not. Psalm 19, verse 1 to 2, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. The second reason follows on from this is that there is design in creation, that there is purpose in the universe. There isn't just life, but life interacts with other life. Uh, there's a, if you begin to look into this, there's a, like a little parable of like a, a guy walking along a beach and he finds like a, a watch that works and... I don't really know, understand, but apparently on a the beach there's all the materials you need to make a watch, not an Apple watch or a, obviously a, you need a chip for that, but like the old school, like tick, tick, cogs and whatever. And so he, founds this, he finds this watch on the beach and it tells the time. And if you, if you had done that, you would assume, well, someone's designed this and made this. It hasn't just sort of, this, the wind hasn't just sort of like pushed all the grains of sand together to come up with a watch you know it's one thing for the elements to for the big bang for the world the universe and everything to sort of come into existence it's another thing for them to all come together to a point um, where life can exist you know there's something like 17 fundamental um, constants in our universe that provide the perfect scenario for life to occur I can't think of what all those 17 are, but things like oxygen, gravity, blah, 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 a lot of, a lot of things. And the chances of those things, and they're all like um, within one million or one billionth of a degree of perfection. And so like if gravity was a tiny bit off or something was a tiny bit off, again, go read some scientists about it because I'm not one, um, then life would not exist. And so it's one thing for those things to exist, but even the point that they exist is not enough to create life. So even if you have the perfect environment, and scientists have, they've tried it in a lab to create perfect environments of life, they still can't create life. They still can't make life start. They've got all the components and ingredients. So it's one thing for everything to come into existence, and that needs a cause, and then it's a completely... Another thing for that, those things to then come to life. 
let alone for them to then develop a consciousness and a mind. You know, if, um, if I had 17 decks of cards up here and each deck had a million cards in it and the million cards were all completely different, like it was ace to, I don't know, millionth king, whatever, um, and I pulled out the ace randomly out of every deck of cards, you would say, well, there's no chance. It's statistically, like, so far, so impossible that you wouldn't even consider it as a reality or it could happen. But that's basically the, how we get to here, is that it, it, it can't happen by chance. I mean, it can. There's, obviously, there is a minute chance that it could happen by chance, but it's more reasonable to believe in a God or an intelligent design. Romans 1 verse 24, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. And as a result, people are without excuse. Third reason is the existence of morality. Basically, if we're the result of a mindless Big Bang, an incredibly violent event, and then the, um, the result of evolution somehow... Um, after, again, after the miracle of life, somehow that comes into existence as well, where the strong eat the weak. Only the, only the strong survive. And then somehow a moral compass comes into existence where deep down we know what is good and bad and that the strong shouldn't overpower the weak. It, it points back to that there is something else going on in this world. Again, you can look into this more in depth. Romans 2, 14 to 16 says this. So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law, speaks exactly to this point, they don't have by nature the law, they do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even accuse... Um, either accuse or even accuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. Fourth good evidence for the existence of God is the experience of God. And there are more arguments you could find, but maybe this um, is the hardest to argue against, is that pe people have, over thousands of years, billions of people have experienced this personal God. I have experienced this personal God. Many of us have experienced this personal God. He speaks to me, gives me joy beyond my circumstance, peace beyond what is real. Billions of others have too. It's, um, there's plenty of stories in the Bible, but maybe one that I love is in John 9:25, where um, a blind man is healed. He's been asked about it, and he says, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. I don't know. All I know is that I've experienced him. And you can't say I haven't. Fifth good evidence is the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and there's plenty of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And this is what our faith hinges on, is the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, there's biblical evidence. There's evidence of, um, you know, uh, hundreds of prophecies Isaiah 53, particularly, 700 years before. Um, Jesus predicts his own death, burial, resurrection. You can read that in Matthew, Mark especially. 
Um, the evidence of the resurrection obviously relies on the fact that Jesus actually died. Um, if he didn't die, then he wasn't resurrected. Maybe he just was in a, a coma or a deep sleep, but there's plenty of evidence to suggest that he was actually dead. Um, he's declared dead, a spear in his side, water and blood flow from his heart. He's wrapped in upwards of 45 kilograms of linen. I mean, that's a lot of linen. You need a big washing machine for all that. A mummified state, no air, no breathing, well and truly dead. Um, He's buried in a well-known tomb. There's government guards placed to guard the tomb because it was so well-known. Anyone tampering with the tombs would be put to death. Jesus returns to death. And this is just in the Bible, you know, Luke 24. Luke's a doctor. I mean, you don't have to be a doctor to really know if someone's dead and alive, but it helps that he is. Makes it more credible. He starts appearing to people, 500 people in one time. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 15. People begin testifying that Jesus is alive. Thomas, the doubter that we just read about, even him coming to like, I don't think this is real, and then seeing Jesus, yes, it is real. I mean, this is the one that always gets me. His mother and his two brothers believe that he is God. I mean, you just think about convincing your siblings that you are God, what it would take for them to actually believe you and then be willing to die for that truth. A miracle. He's alive. Yeah, he came back to the dead. Anyway, <clears throat> there's circumstantial evidence that you can look back. You can see the disciples are transformed. They're transformed from timid to bold. They remain loyal to Jesus. Um, the character of the disciples mitigates against considering them to be liars. You know, they're feeding the hungry. They're caring for the needy. They're defending widows and orphans. They risked and were subject to arresting, uh, beating, harm and death. People started worshipping Jesus as God. Um, communion and baptism coming to the church. It's a bad lie. I mean, you read the resurrection, you see uh, in that first century, the, the first people on the scene seeing the resurrection are women. And, and in uh, a court of law, back then, women's testimony was not considered as um, evidence. You couldn't rely on it. And so it's just, if you were going to set it up as a lie or make this story up, you just wouldn't do it like this. It just wouldn't happen. There's historical evidence. There's a uh, Josephus talks. He's not a Christian. Talks about um, Jesus dying and coming back to life. There is plenty of good evidence. If you ever doubt the existence of God, have you ever doubted the existence of God? Or maybe you know someone who does. There is plenty of good evidence. I've listened to um, some atheists trying to tear these arguments apart and when you when you listen to both and when you really I mean as objectively as you can sit down and listen to both sides of the arguments regarding these it makes much more sense it's more logical and more reasonable to believe in a God than there isn't and so I would say just keep swimming keep searching for the answers and encourage others to do the same Because God can stand up to whatever search you put on him. Practical steps to deal with your doubt. We're almost done. First step is to admit it. Don't just pretend it's not there. Admit it. You can think and reason with honesty. Honestly evaluate your own motivations of why am I doubting in this moment? Why do I think like this? Pray. 
Even if it doesn't feel like it's working or it's effective, keep praying. Read the Bible. It's a living word. It's an active word. It has the power to transform and change things in your own life. Go to church. Don't stop being around other believers. Explore. Look at all the evidence. Read far and wide. But perhaps most importantly, seek God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. If you honestly come before God with your doubts and your questions with all your heart, you will find him. The truth is, everyone puts their faith somewhere. Even the atheist puts their faith in their own worldview. Because there is no way to prove God in the sense of like scientifically, and there's no way to disprove God scientifically. And so whichever way you look at it, everyone's putting their faith somewhere. Everyone can't have the truth. You know, there's people that are so certain God believes and there's people that are so certain God doesn't believe. Like, just as certain as each other. Not everyone can be right. Doesn't, I mean, I'm not that smart and I can figure that out. And you can deny God if you like. But it is a very, in fact, I say the most reasonable thing to put your faith in. And that's even without any personal experience. And so I'd encourage you to, to do your neighbours a favour, those that don't know God, those that don't maybe believe in him. Don't always argue intellect questions with heart responses or soul responses. If you don't know the answer to a question, if they say, oh, God doesn't exist because of this, say, I'm not sure about that. I'm going to go find out. I'm going to see if I can explore that question or that concern, and come back with an answer, or, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, Jesus doesn't ask us to have every answer to every question. He asks us to have faith. And faith, fundamentally, is believing in something that you can't always see. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for the promises that it contains, the life that it contains, the truth that it contains. And God, I pray that even in moments where we have little faith or no faith, God, that we can seek you out. You call us to search for you with all our hearts. And God, we want to be people who search for you with all our hearts, who find you, who experience you, and are changed by you. And so, God, would you help us to be a people that are safe to bring questions to and people that wholeheartedly chase after you with all our mind, heart, and soul. God, we love you so much and we thank you for the church that we're a part of. We thank you for the God that you are. We honour you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, SBC Yaron, for joining us. Stick around. You're having some lunch soon. Uh, if you're here in the room, stick around. Grab some tea, coffee. Say good day to someone. We'll see you again next Sunday.